Our scripture passage today comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As I had two weeks left with you, we have ended our time together the same way that we end every worship service with a charge and a benediction. Now, we often change our charge. Last week, we spent some time looking at the Great Commission, perhaps the most central charge of all of the New Testament. But there are many other commands in which we are commissioned to go and to do. But we don't change the benediction each week, though there are several benedictions at the end of many of the letters that you'll see as Paul writes. He pronounces a blessing to a church. Now, there's no command that we use this particular benediction each week. But it is perhaps the most central benediction in all of Scripture. It is one of the most foundational passages of the Old Testament, especially as the people of God are being redeemed out of Egypt. As the priesthood is being established, as worship is being refined, as the people are going to go and wander These words are given. This is at the Mount Sinai as the people have come out from Egypt. It has perhaps taken them a few weeks or so to get to this point. They end up staying at the mountain for a better part of a year. This is where the Ten Commandments are given. This is where all the laws are spoken to Moses. This is where they get all of the instruction that they are going to need for the coming generations But it is here, this central blessing, this benediction that we see throughout, really, the life of the people of Israel in particular. Now, we may be familiar with it as we hear it each week, but it is also throughout the Psalms. A lot of the verbiage you hear in this benediction, you hear throughout the Psalms. Psalm 67 is almost verbatim this same blessing. The Lord be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth and your saving power among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Psalm 4 that we looked at this summer. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Psalm 31. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Psalm 80, in three places, repeats this phrase. Restore us, O Lord. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Psalm 119. Make your face shine upon your servant. Teach me your statutes. See, the people of God understood the centrality of this blessing in a way that it began to overflow in their worship. It overflew in the psalmists as they wrote these words. It was echoed throughout the scriptures as they longed for these blessings to come about. 
as we look at our passage today, perhaps the idea of benediction and blessing isn't something that's super familiar to us. Now, we may have a common occurrence, maybe even every day, where we hear somebody sneeze and we say, God bless you. So, nice gesture. But what do we mean by blessing? And more importantly than that, where do we seek blessing? Oftentimes, we are often seeking after material blessings. And indeed, the blessing from God does include those things. But so much of our validation, so much of the things that we hope to have, right? Blessing is tied to hope. It's tied to promise. And there are many false hopes and false promises that we are continually bombarded with, whether that is, if I only had that type of car, that promotion, lived in that part of town, if only I had this type of friend, that type of spouse, this many children, if only people liked me, respected me, appreciated me. There are all sorts of things that are continually drawing us to seek to quantify those things as blessings, as the thing that we need most centrally in our lives. And as we look at the people of Israel, as they have come to this mountain, they've already begun to grumble. Oh, that we would have died in Egypt. At least we had food there. We didn't have to go out into the wilderness. We didn't have to wander around following this man, Moses. We didn't have to be chased off by Pharaoh's army. And yet it is here that the Lord speaks, that the Lord reveals what it is that his will is for his people. What they truly need is not material blessing, not successful blessing, not relational blessing, but even in those things that often we do need some measure of, they must come from the hand of the Lord. As we look at this passage, it is one of poetry, at least in a Hebrew form. We really see three main blessings. Uh, They all start with the same phrase, the Lord. So we have the first one, the Lord bless you and keep you. The second, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The third, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The way that this is structured is each line builds on itself. Blessing and keep. Keep builds on blessing. Make his face to shine. Graciousness builds on that imagery. And the countenance and the peace is a building. But beyond that, they also build as they become successive. The first one is shorter, especially as you look at the Hebrew language. It is just a few words. The next one is longer. And the third blessing is even longer. There's a, a progression that this is getting more and more rich. And it begins in the most basic way, the Lord's blessing, and then it goes to expound how this blessing will be experienced. It is the poetic way in which the Lord gave this command for Moses to tell Aaron that he might bless the people. So I have a few questions for us to consider before we look at 
the specific blessings together. The first thing that we must be reminded of, and we've already started to hit at it, is who is this blessing from? Who is this blessing from? Well, as I said before, each of the three lines start with the emphatic, the Lord. The the covenant name of God, Yahweh, bless you. Yahweh, make his face to shine upon you. Yahweh, lift up his countenance upon you. Did you forget after the first one? Did you forget after the second one? Did you forget after the third one? And at the end, although we don't see it in the English, it is the emphatic, I myself will bless them. The Lord will bless. The Lord will bless. The Lord will bless. I myself, the Lord, will bless them. It undermines any sense that blessings will come about through our own strength, that they are given over to some foreign God or some force of nature. This is a direct quotation from the Lord's mouth to the people. The Lord has said it. Thee is the one from whom all blessings flow. Is that not what we sing each week? And it is a reminder here again and again and again throughout this blessing. But then we must think, who is this blessing for? Now, of course, I told you this is happening after the uh, Exodus, and they have come now to Mount Sinai. But it has happened after a few things have taken place. It doesn't go very well for the people of Israel when they get to the mountain. In fact, they do some horrific things. It is here where Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments, and while he is up there, the people get tired of waiting. And what do they do? They tell Aaron to make for them an idol, a golden calf, and they call the calf Yahweh, and they worship it instead of the Lord. They did many other perverse things as part of that party. And yet it is here, despite their wickedness, despite their grumbling, despite all of these things, the Lord gives this blessing. And Aaron is the one who's going to deliver it. The one who just built the golden calf not that long ago is still the priest of God most high. But Aaron is speaking this to roughly two to three million people. It's quite the crowd. And you would expect, as is often the case throughout Scripture, when you read the word you, you got to channel your southerner and think y'all. Right? We're talking about you guys. Especially when you're talking to two to three million people. But that's not the case in this blessing. As Aaron stands and speaks, and as Leviticus chapter 9 reminds us, he raises his hand to pronounce this blessing. He doesn't say, the Lord bless all of you. He says, the Lord bless you. Make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you. It is the singular you. So as Aaron makes this blessing, it is not merely a corporate blessing to the people of God, but it is applied Individually to each and every person who is listening. In fact, the Lord's name being so emphatic throughout this, if there was any more emphasis here, it would be on the word you. If you notice, it is there six times. 
One pastor I was listening to said, if I was a copy editor, I would think this is a very bad writer. Why did you write you so many times? We can get rid of five of those. But it's driving home the point again and again, even more so than that this is from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. Who? You. Who? You, 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 you. This blessing is for you. It's personal. It's corporate. It is divinely inspired and given directly to the people of God. Let's look at the blessings together. Verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. This word blessing can carry lots of things. Uh, You know, you think of Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man. Think of the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart. And so we think about all of the ways in which God blesses his people. And indeed, it is accurate and necessary for us to begin with the ways in which God would bless his people materially. Think about the promises he made to Abraham and the fulfillment that we have coming here. It included a land. It included children. It included many practical everyday things. And indeed, as they will wander through the wilderness here in these next 40 years, what will they whine about? They will whine about food. They will whine about water. They will whine about their health. They will think that they are dying. And yet it is here the Lord has promised to bless them, to give them what they need. There is a connotation to the word blessing that has the imagery of taking a knee. We often think about coming to the Lord in a posture of humility, and that is good, right, and true. But here in the Lord's blessing, he has brought himself down to care, to bestow. The Lord bless you. The Lord provide for you. The Lord give you what you need and keep you. Builds upon that. Not only will you have what you need, the Lord will keep you. He will protect you. Think about all of the armies that will surround the people of God throughout the ages. That he has just delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh in his armies. That the pillar of fire will go before them and behind them and will close them in. The cloud and the sky will protect them from the sun. The Lord is watching over them. He is caring for them. This is the basic understanding of the blessing, of the keeping that the Lord will continue to build upon through this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. There's a couple of images here. Some of them are maybe more familiar to us than others. The idea of a shining face perhaps is something we can relate to. As grandma opens the door to visit you and your children's face light up. As you see your spouse after a week away. And it lights up your face. The idea of delight. Have a lit up face. The Lord's delight is towards you. It's shining upon you. It is not begrudgingly in your direction, but it is 
one filled with delight and care and love and joy and favor. The Lord is pleased to look upon his people. And not only his people, you, you, you. But beyond that, we're talking about a very royal scene here. The Lord is high and lifted up. He is seated on a throne. And some of this imagery of the Lord turning his face towards you is pointing towards this reality that the king's favor would be shown whether or not he would show his face, whether he would be looking down or away, or whether he would turn his countenance towards those who are speaking to him. Once again, building on the idea of the blessing, of the the bending down, the bestowing, not only is the king's face turned towards us that we might be heard, but it is beaming. That it has brought him joy that we have come. That it is a delight for him to look upon us. And this imagery of the king continues on in that it is gracious to you. See, nobody has the worthiness to come before the king, let alone God himself. And yet, the Lord is gracious. We are undeservedly brought in. He is showing us kindness and favor out of his mere benevolence, his steadfast love. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. It's right here in this benediction. The Lord's face is towards you, just lit up with joy and love and care. And he looks at us with grace that is undeserved. Remember who he's speaking to, the idolatrous people of Israel who just got done worshiping a golden calf. And he's speaking through the priests who made it. And yet these are the people God has redeemed, who he has chosen out from among all the people of the nations, not because they were any mightier or greater, but so that the Lord's name would be praised. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The blessing ends with the third. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Continuing on with the Lord looking upon us, looking upon you, his his countenance, his focus, his attention. Every detail of our lives are considered from the most powerful, almighty God looking upon his people, promising to be the one who will bless and keep and delight. Looks up to see you. But perhaps most central here is the end of this blessing, to give you peace. It is perhaps one of the few Hebrew words you are familiar with, shalom, that the Lord would give you shalom. And when we think of peace, oftentimes we think of maybe military peace or uh, internal peace or peace among relationships. And those are all within view of shalom, but shalom is a much bigger category. It carries with it the idea of completeness, of wholeness. To be in shalom was to have your life going well. Imagine a man among the people of Israel who would be considered blessed. 
His flocks are healthy. His crops are growing. He has healthy children. He loves his wife. He is at the temple offering the sacrifice. He would say, I have shalom. There are no enemies knocking at my door. I have been blessed by the Lord. My life is complete. I have rest and delight in him. This is the fullness of the Aaronic blessing. Aaron here, blessing. This benediction that we would have shalom and that it is what we would have would be a gift received from the Lord himself. There are many things we receive during our worship service each week. We are reminded that God calls us to worship him. We are reminded of our assurance of pardon because of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. We remind each other of the common faith we have. We are encouraged by the word. We are reminded of the Lord's broken body and shed blood. The reason we have a benediction is because it reminds us of this blessing. If nothing else happened in a church service and all of you received, you showed up 55 minutes late and you walked in and you heard the blessing, you would have received, at least in some form, all of what our worship is about. Because at the heart of this benediction is a promise of God to his people Not merely that God will do things for his people, not merely that he will provide things for his people, but that he himself is being given to them. Look at how we are told at the end. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. It is at the benediction each week that you once again are reminded that God's name has been placed upon you. When you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, his name was placed upon you. All of God's purposes in the world are going to be done through his people, and his blessing and his name are upon you. Where his name is, there he is with it. But as I pointed out earlier, this emphatic end perhaps the most comforting of all of the blessing. It is not merely Aaron saying these words, but that when Aaron does these things, when he raises up his hands, when the chosen man of God who ministers on behalf of the Lord raises up his hands and says these words, here's what the Lord will do. He's not merely reminding you. He is placing his name upon you and I myself will bless them. I myself will bless them. Just as Aaron is blessing them, it's actually the Lord who he himself will bestow the blessing. Just as a minister pours the water of baptism on the one being baptized, it is the Lord who is speaking. Just as the minister breaks the bread and gives the wine, it is the Lord who meets us. It is the Lord who feeds us. It is here that we are reminded. It is here that we receive. It is here that the Lord is at work, blessing us and keeping us, showing his face upon us and being gracious to us, lifting up his countenance upon us and bringing us shalom.
putting his name upon us and blessing us. If we have any doubt about the blessing of God, we only have to give a few moments of consideration of the truly blessed man. I spoke earlier of someone blessed is the man. All of the blessed man passages throughout Scripture really point ultimately to Christ, the truly blessed man. Can you imagine somebody else who is more blessed than God, more kept by the Father, had more of the Lord's face shining upon him and being gracious towards him, who had his countenance lifted up towards him and was living in the peace of shalom and had God's name upon him? Jesus, indeed, is the blessed man. But what do we see happen in the gospel? His blessing was forsaken. And instead of receiving this blessing, he receives the curse. No longer did the Lord's face shine upon him, but as we sing so often in our song, the Lord turned his face away. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Lord did not keep him from his enemies. Instead, he was handed over to evil men to be executed. The Lord's face went away and no longer shined. And we see that even in the darkening of the sun, the darkest day on earth, as Christ died on a cross. No favor, no delight, abandonment and darkness. No peace, no presence. Christ dies, the cursed death of a cross. The people of God receiving this blessing deserve the curse. They deserve the opposite of everything that's here. And yet it is in Christ that we see that is not God's will for his people. That he has made a way for us to receive the blessing truly found in Christ. That all of these things we can see and easily apply to Christ. Well, of course he had those things. Of course he was blessed. Of course the Lord looked upon him. As we think about those things, we have to realize that God has placed that upon you. And that is how he views you. And all of the things we think negatively about how God feels about us, all of those guilt and shameful things, all of the wrath and curse we think we deserve when we begin to despair, we have to be reminded that that has been placed on Christ. And in that dark hour, it was paid for. Through faith in Christ, our curse is taken and we receive his blessing. The Lord is going to do this. It is a proclamation. It is his desire. And when the Lord makes a proclamation, he will make it come about. And that is what we see in the incarnation, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that God will make a way. It was not an accident. Indeed, it was a long time waiting for the Lord to fulfill what the people of God needed most. We're reminded of this by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. We'll leave with this today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of, of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Paul doesn't end there, but I will. I would encourage you to go and to read Ephesians chapter 1 this week in light of the benediction and see how it is an expansion that it is a connection, that it is the Lord's blessing throughout Scripture, the same themes that it is the Lord himself giving these gifts, drawing near, bringing us in, bending the knee towards us, shining his face upon us, showing us his grace. And not just us, but you. As we leave today, we will leave with the benediction. And we will have received God's blessing. May we live in light of what he has promised, of what he does for us. May we receive his name and may he himself bless us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we don't deserve anything from your hand. And yet you have chosen to bless us. To keep us. To make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance upon us and give us your peace. Lord, sometimes we don't even know what that means. Sometimes it's hard for us to believe, and yet we come today and we ask that we might receive your name, that you would bless us, and that we would find comfort, rest, and identity, and worship because of it. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.